welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Allen. You guys, June's been kind of crazy. Besides being the first ever Filipino Heritage Month across Canada, huge in itself, I came back from a one-week media workshop with the Thomson Reuters Foundation in London. I got back to Toronto, had one day off, kind of, because <laughs> I moved apartments. I had one other day off, and then I did the new Filipino Kitchen book launch here in Toronto. Then I filled a segment for the CBC on how to make halo halo. The CBC is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, huge, pinch me. And I also hosted Paluta Night with two amazing chefs in the city. Then on top of that, I also spent a pretty awesome weekend celebrating Pride in Toronto. whether any of this had room in my podcast about Filipino food. To be honest, and this isn't the first time it's happened, this whole issue of being comfortable with talking about reality, my reality, about whether any of my stories have a place in the wider world, is something that came up quite a bit, actually a lot this month. So I guess this episode's kind of about that. And I kind of just want to be real with you all. The reason all of this means a lot is because when I first started exploring Filipino kitchens, the idea of hosting events and being published in a book and getting on the CBC, like, these are things that kind of just felt like a dream. And... It took a while to find a community of people, an inclusive community, who cared about our culture and heritage and understanding that complexity and how that sort of shaped our identities. I'm still really amazed by how deep this connection to culture runs for a lot of people. I guess that's really why this month meant a lot. If these kinds of celebrations bring out the kinds of people that I saw a lot, including some of the people that are going to be featured in this episode, if we get that opportunity to really, I don't know, spread our wings and just fly out into the world, that's such a great way for Filipino culture to flourish. And naturally, because food is such a big part of that, then our cuisine also gets the proper spotlight it deserves. Really just out of that curiosity that's going to stem from those people who do have a really deep investment in learning the flavors and the ingredients that comprise Filipino cooking. So anyway, all of this is like, I guess just a way of saying thanks for being in a place in Toronto where I can be loud and proud about myself and about the things I care about and having that ability to 
live someplace and make a difference someplace where you can express who you truly are and I guess take advantage of the opportunities that come your way that's not to be taken lightly and that in a nutshell to me is what Filipino Heritage Month really meant. Coming up, we've got some clips from the new Filipino Kitchen book launch held at Isla's Filipino Barbecue and Bar in Toronto. Eventually, when I can afford to have someone help me with the audio editing stuff, I promise it's going to get better, but for now, I promise the stories are good and I hope you'll stick around. Let's get to it. Let's start with every sunset something that's near and dear to me in a lot of ways. Here's the part I share at readings, and to hear the rest, you'll have to buy the book if you don't have it yet. In our apartment in Toronto, I gaze out on the city skyline framed by slate gray skies, thinking of how much I've grown. When I came to Canada with my family, I started a new life with zero dollars to my name. After years of work in hotels, overnight shifts for celebrities who partied until dawn, Gallons of midnight oil burned to finish my college degree, and a challenging internship at a national magazine, I finally could afford a place of my own in this corner of the world. A place where I could relax and unwind. A place I'd love to call my home. Today, like many other days, I long for food from my homeland, the Philippines. But this time, I pine for something a bit out of the ordinary. A rice noodle dish with shrimp sauce called pancit palabo. Now, I hardly cooked until I moved out of my parents' house in Canada. In the Philippines, I and most kids I knew had a nanny or a relative who did most of the cooking. But I knew that my ideal self, a financially independent, socially conscious, bike riding millennial, would not be complete without learning how to cook pancit palabo and many of the other Filipino foods I love. Pancit palabo brings to mind my birthday when I turned 18. I went to hotel school in Manila at the time, and while most of my college friends trained to be chefs in cruise ships and high-end restaurants, I prepared to work for luxury hotels. After class, to celebrate my entrance into legal adulthood, my friends and I headed to a place along Manila Bay, the kind that served pulutan, food that went with drinks, with buckets of ice-cold beer on sometimes rickety plastic tables that spilled onto the sidewalk. 
the incoming breeze always felt sticky and smelled of exhaust fumes, cigarette smoke, and salty sea air. Of course, we ordered pancet palabo, a large platter of it. It came in a mound on this round, woven, banana leaf-lined tray called a bilao. The rice noodles, white as a blank canvas, were smothered with this rich sauce, blazing orange as the setting sun on Manila Bay. A generous scattering of sliced boiled eggs, crunchy chicharron, tinapa, or smoked fish, shrimp, squid, and scallions all adorned the sauce. My friends and I clinked beer bottles and took photos of our tipsy-ass selves before selfies were even a thing. It was my job to portion it out. Noodles that tended to clump together, palabok sauce notorious for its chunky consistency, and toppings that were almost impossible to evenly distribute to everyone. That dinner felt like home to me as a teenager. I was surrounded by friends and the comfort of familiarity and knowing things. But looking back, the memory also carried the sense of excitement for the mysterious future. None of us knew then to which corner of the world life would take us. knew this had to be real, that the new Filipino kitchen had so much to offer to everyone who let a part of it into their lives. I wanted to share my story for a couple minutes to then, for the event, hear from everybody else for the rest of the night, to have conversations that float on, kind of like the podcast, to experience these stories and lessons learned from people who knew how to hustle in the most earnest sense of the word. To know that you're not alone in feeling misunderstood, underestimated, and just flat-out beat, especially if you work in any kind of creative or service-related industry. These people know. We had two seatings for dinner that night, and Filipino TV even came over to cover our first panel chat. Check out the episode link. We had an amazing round of speakers from Filipino Fusion Desserts, some writers from the Pluma Collective here in Toronto, and a co-author to the New Filipino Kitchen who actually came in from Virginia. For the second panel, we brought back, firstly, Mark and Mariel Bonaventura, who are the amazing owners of Isla's Filipino Barbecue and Bar. Mark leads the kitchen, he's executive chef, and Mariel takes care of front of house. I invited some of my good friends, Jenilee Austria, who you heard on the Pollutan episode, a local author here in Toronto, and Jeline Santiago, who runs an ethical fashion company called Cambio Co. Plus, we had two incredible leaders from our local community, two Filipino food restaurant owners, Diona Joyce, who runs Canto by Tita Flips, along with her catering company, and Dolly Flores, who runs a restaurant called Carinderia by D. Flores. That's in the city of Mississauga, just next door to Toronto. Mississauga is one of the fastest growing regions for migrant settlement in the greater Toronto area. I think that's really interesting, and we'll talk about that a bit more later on. 
every single day. Dolly and Diona and Mark and Mariel, together with their teams and crews of very talented cooks. These folks bring Filipino food out of their kitchens. Diona even does it from a tiny one in a converted shipping container. To people who want to try, just eat really good Filipino food. For the panel chat, I wanted to ask questions like, what Filipino dish or food have you most connected to and why? To, what are you most curious about in the world of Filipino food? In your dream Filipino kitchen, what would be there and why? And finally, what three words or phrases describe your relationship with Filipino food today? So we're going to get to all of this in a minute. But first, and this actually happens in most of the events I go to, people end up starting a talk about food by something that isn't directly related to the food itself. Here's Jelaine Santiago. This open mind of like constantly being open to learning more and not being afraid to question the things that I had been told. Um, and also like what are these preconceived notions of what it was to be Filipino, what the Philippines was like, based on my parents' understanding and things that my family members had told me. And um, there's just so much that I would have been told like, oh, it's so dangerous in Manila, don't go there. like. Don't pay like this much for this in Philippines because it's not worth it, or like things being in Philippines are cheap. And like there's just so many things that I had been taught. Um, and then going back to Philippines for the first time, like I realized that there's so much that I had been raised to believe that was just really not how I would interpret things considering what I had been told. And also like what I realized too, like my parents they haven't been going back to the Philippines every year. Like when we when we left, it was almost like 25, 26 years ago. And so their idea of what Philippines was like, it may have been accurate or whatever at that time, but it's totally not the same now. And I'm actually in the position of privilege where I can go back every year and I get to travel all over in the north and in the south and in Visayas. And I get to see things that even my family members are, no, are not able to see. And I'm the one now who gets to tell them about Sisig and Inasal. They also hadn't, had never tried the south before either and so um i think it's just like this the need to be curious and the need to want to understand where both my parents are coming from and where also um what people's lives are like and just not coming in with my own judgments or confusing notions of what things should be like and then the fact accepting that that's like an ongoing process i think people um in the diaspora or anyone who just has grown up with like your fit in and out of multiple cultures i think that's just this process that's going to be lifelong and needing to accept kind of learn the best and the worst parts of the of your shared identities and like learning from that and how that will shape you and that's going to change so much um so that's really been my experience has just been this constant like need to be empathetic to be curious and to just be willing to change what i think of, of how things are all the time Wow. Well, that's Jelaine's take on understanding her relationship, and it's a changing one with her Filipino heritage. Next, Dolly talks about her favorite memories of merienda. Typically, it's a snack, but something that can also be kind of a mini meal, especially if what you're snacking on are delicious leftovers from lunch. So I'm the honor of operating Corinderia by Dee Torres in Mississauga. Um, 
when I came in Canada, um, I was on my early 20s. I worked with one company until I left and opened my own restaurant. Uh, when I opened the restaurant, it basically brings back the culture to me. It brings back memories back home. So when I opened the restaurant, the food that connected to me is um, merienda. And some of Dolly's favorite dishes, not just for merienda, but ones that she just knew had to be on the menu, these were classics like laing, a stew of taro leaves cooked with coconut milk, and dinuguan, which is made with fresh pig's blood and always served with rice or puto, aka rice cakes, bibinka, another kind of rice cake, and arroz caldo, a porridge with many iterations across the world. Our lying, our lying is um, kind of very important until we get to try. But once we talk to them regarding about what's on it, by saying it's it's terribly steamer in coconut cream, fresh ginger, fresh chili, and a dash of shrimp thing, they kind of like, oh my god, it's, it's kind of like so good, right? So once they try it, it's, it's, our food is similar to other cultures as well. Like um, our uh, in Hawaii, it's more like. Blood pudding is what they call it, right? So, and in fact, it, it's actually been a favorite as well. So, even the bibinka, uh, a bibinka is actually from India. They have that bibinka as well. And we have Spanish people who come in to the restaurant asking about arroz caldo. Yeah, I know about arroz caldo. But when we try it, it's, it's really Chinese food when Chinese merchants came to the Philippines. And at her restaurant, Dolly says, they really do get a diverse group of restaurant patrons. Being in Mississauga, a suburb of Toronto that's just seen an explosion of residents in the last 15 years, as the region continues to grow and house large numbers of newcomer families from all over the world. And we connect with a lot of diverse patrons in our restaurant by, by telling the story of our dishes quite well. And for them, when they arrive in the restaurant, like our food in the restaurant, they feel like, oh, I feel like in another country, right? So telling the story about the food, telling everything, um, uh, it connected with our food as well. I'm very happy to, uh, once they tasted our food, they keep coming back and they ask um, some of their colleagues or friends and sometimes when another Filipino comes and they said, oh my boss, which is Italian, told me about Carindria. And that's made me feel so good about... About our food, our culture, and the opportunities we have to invite all kinds of people over for dinner. Diona echoes the sentiment. My name is Diona Joyce, aka Tita Flips, from Canto. Canto um, <laughs> is one of the first, well, we claim the first um, shipping container, or the first Filipino street food in Toronto. I said that because we're going to be on our seventh season this summer. Yes. Um, when I first um, had a container, uh, there was no such thing as even like Filipino food uh, back in. 2013. What we had at the time here in Toronto was the kind of takeout shop slash grocery store that you'd find in many places where large-ish numbers of Filipino people lived, along with maybe a couple sit-down restaurants that were kind of a ways out from the downtown core. Just the regular, you know, like the Filipino restaurants, we call them the originals. 
the MV Foods or the casino or the Bathurst and Wilson community. But in downtown, there's really not much um, at that time. And then when I was telling my friends, like, oh, I'd like to open uh, like a container because there's no street food really in Toronto, like serving the, like, the real thing. And it's like, oh, it's not going to work. But how come? Because Filipino food is been like, you know, it's just serve at home or something, right? Like you don't buy Filipino food. Like what are you talking about? Like there's so much more about Filipino food. So I just go ahead and did it. And here I am, seven years later, we're still on. And we're very thankful for that, you know. Being there at, you know, the forefront and it's very, uh, it's a good feeling, you know. At Canto, Diona serves the classics. Your tapsilog and longsilog sets, some crispy lechon kawali, lumpiang shanghai, pancit, and because we are in the north, a riff on Canadian poutine called sisig fries. But certain mainstays will always be near. Uh, the dish that kind of fascinates me is uh, sinigang. There's so much beyond the north sinigang mix, you know? When I was growing up, uh, we see like the sampalo, the tamarind leaves, the guava. There's so much more to it. And I think it's very underrated just to have like just the sinigang mix and that's it. It's, although it's very convenient, right? But I think- These are true things that I really appreciate Diona admits. The sinigang packet is very, very handy. When you need it, like crave it. That packet of sour powder is a lifesaver. And I swear, Sinigang has this like magical power because just like it turned the tides for me, it kind of gave Diona an eye opening experience too. Like Filipino food is so diverse that you have a lot, and there's, and like every region has their own different. It's like adobo, like you have different versions of adobo as so as well with the Sinigang. So I grew up in Mindanao. I was born and raised there. So Visaya represents. <laughs> my mom is Visaya and my dad is Tagalog. So he's from the Luzon and my mom is Visaya. So, you know, like different cooking styles are like totally different. So basically... And one example of this difference in terms of a known food or dish that's done differently in different regions is lechon. So basically the lechon is the same thing, but it tastes different, right? All essentially cooked over an open fire pit with like a whole hog rotating on a spit slowly over many, many hours until its meat and skin become godly. Same process, different results, depending on where you enjoy it. As Diona explains, What I found is that they have a good sauce, the lechon sauce. The sauce, made from pork liver usually, drippings and stale breadcrumbs and a host of other delicious things, this stuff becomes the prevailing essential condiment to lechon, if you live in Luzon. Here, the Tagalog lechon isn't complete without sarsa. In the south, they have different aromatics in there, you know, lemongrass, all the spices inside the pig, which is, I think, the most awesome, awesome thing that they could happen in a pig. So, but, but yeah, that's totally amazing. This imbued flavor, that intensely aromatic whiff of lemongrass that just 
cuts through every slice of lechon. That makes it distinctly Bisaya or Visayan. In the Philippines, people order entire roast pigs from Cebu, entire lechons, and have them priority shipped to Manila on a regular basis. We're talking like boxes shipped over on local airlines and brought straight to your classic Filipino party. How exactly they keep the skin crisp while those delicious pigs make their way to Manila on express flights, I really want to know. All this talk about lechon got Chilean thinking. Um, in terms of the dish that I've connected to the most is lechon. Because um, I grew up at Filipino parties here, there's always lechon. There's always like the big lechon baboy that's there on the table. And like I grew up just knowing that that's a thing. And I, I liked it, but I didn't particularly love it the way that people talk about it. They're always like, People just seem to love lechon, and I never felt that way until I went back to Philippines for the first time. 2012, yeah. In 2012, uh, which was my first time being back since we moved to Canada when I was three, and um, they had my cousins and my family had like made like hand roasted this big lechon um, all night long, like cranking it out by hand. And when as soon as we arrived home and got off the plane, they like served us this big piece of this lechon on the table. And it was like the best meat I've ever had in my life. And I was like, oh my God, is this what lechon is? Like, is this what lechon is supposed to taste like? And now, and that was like such a powerful way that that lesson was delivered was through this beautiful taste of lechon. restaurant, I asked Chef Mark what his dream Filipino kitchen looks like. I think I'm gonna, I don't know, I think when I think about that one, that question still boggles me, but what, what I would like, actually I, I want to share with the people, who was that, Susan that shared that earlier, about she said she wanted a calamansi tree in her kitchen, which was like, wow, that's interesting, like, if that could be like that, right? But, 
for me, I think the only thing, outside of what I have already, and I think, you know, I would like to focus more if, if I had a, like a, a wood burning oven, like, you know, something where we could do like, like real good pandisa, you know, and just cause like I think pandisa is like a staple for Filipinos and something that, you know, it just reminds me of the mornings, you know, like Filipino mornings. For Dolly, it was an easy choice. Rice. Um, the most um, good food um, here is about is uh, rice. Uh, I grew up with only white rice, but there is all different kind of colors. And it was like from the north, from the south, from the east and the west. So there's purple, there's black, there's red, there's orange, brown. Diona followed with one of my personal favorites, dried fish. The seafood, man, it is to die for. Have you heard about the bacon of the sea? You've got to try it. The bacon of the sea. And that's such a great way, such a Diona way to explain it too. Dangit is basically the small dried salted fish. Like eat it and you fry them and so crispy, like you will forget for, for a moment. So she says that if you fry this fish, you won't even think about bacon for a minute. It's the bacon of this. Jenna Lee's got a different ideal kitchen altogether. In my dream Filipino kitchen, how many of you guys have a relative who has like diabetes or gout or cholesterol or high blood, right? Which is we get so common in Filipino media, high blood pressure. They don't, you don't say pressure anyways. High blood. I have high blood, right? And my dream kitchen would be like a place where we can still make delicious Filipino food. I if there was a way to somehow merge the flavor with the healthiness in the dream kitchen, that would be incredible. But, so that's my one answer. The second answer, of course, is bananas. Guys, Filipino bananas are crazy. They're like the size of my hands. They're so small. You could eat like 10 of them. Holy smokes. That would also be my kitchen. So sweet, right? <laughs> Jelaine had a couple answers for me. I would just want um, like all the fruits in Philippines, like in my magical dream Filipino kitchen. Like every time we go, there's always all these fruits, and I'm like, I don't know what this is. Like, what is this? And the first time I ever had like the kaimito, the star apple, I was like, this is the most amazing thing I have ever tasted in my life. And like the first time we had halo halo as well, like in Philippines, the first time we had like really good halo halo was in Davao um, when we were there to meet one of our partners and they took us to this little like little corner shop and you can choose like, you have a little paper, you can check off all of these like fillings and toppings that you want in your halo halo. And it was like the best halo halo I've ever had in my life. And the next day, we literally were like on the other side of the town and we took like a one hour grab ride to get to this little stall. And I was like, I don't even know if they're open. It's like Sunday night. We get there, everything else is closed except this halo halo spot. And then we just had like the best halo halo again. So I would have all like these fresh fruits and fresh ingredients. Um, I would also have a Philippine 
chocolate and my Philippine cacaos because um, basically the Philippines got cacao from Mexico during the galleon trade under Spanish colonial powers and at some point Philippines was actually like considered the gateway of chocolate to the rest of Asia and Europe. So everything was being moved from Mexico through the galleon trade to Philippines, which is the main entry point, and then it would be brought to like Vietnam and Indonesia and then to the rest of Europe. And Philippines was becoming this like superpower of chocolate until like a series of things happened, and then the trees kind of like, a bunch of the cacao trees got sick, and so there was the economy kind of collapsed. But at some point, like we were producing like the best chocolate in the world. Cacao trees literally grow in backyards, like in people's backyards. Yeah, and I was like, that's so cool. Like you have chocolate trees. With all of this said, I am so grateful to have spaces like Islas, where people who do want to learn about Filipino cuisine can just go. Islas is also in one of my favorite neighborhoods in the city, the western edge of Parkdale, where Queen and King Streets merge just above Lake Ontario. It's gentrifying, like many other places in the city, but there's still a sizable number of Filipino residents in the area. Here's Mark. And uh, for us, it reminded us a little bit about the Philippines. And, um, you know, we saw it as like the best place for us to represent Filipino food. Uh, so, so like I said, it's, this is our second year, so we're still very new, but um, so far we're really proud about what we've done so far and where, and where this is going. Um, you know, because there's so many people that, you know, are here and they don't know much about Filipino food, you know, outside of like pancit or, or, or spring rolls. So we have like a platform where we can showcase uh, the different flavors that Philippines have to offer. Um, so, so. And so here's a challenge for everyone listening. Find your local version of Islas because they are definitely out there. So what resonates with me, one of my favorite dishes um, I shared earlier, uh, today was uh, chicken in a sal. We have it on our menu, and um, I guess for that dish, um, it was something that when I first tried it, um, you know, I was already an adult at the time. This is like when I, when I visited uh, the Philippines in uh, 2010, and uh, I tried it for the first time. and. I thought I knew all about Filipino food, I thought I knew all the dishes, but when I tried this particular dish, I was like, wow, this, like to me, it tastes like, like all the senses, I, I love the flavor of it, but I just never knew about it. So I was like, wow, it opened my mind to know that there's so many other dishes and flavors and fruits and ingredients that I don't really know much about, which kind of started me on a journey to like, wanted to learn more about where it came from and, and you know, how come only that region is like pushing in the south. So, uh, you know, it was something that, you know, when I came back from that trip, you know, I started to research it and, and I had to have it here. So I started to make the dish, you know, and it even, even started me into doing some catering as well. So, uh, And speaking of finding places to belong, or at least to find the community you're looking for and its relationship with the food. Jenna Lee's story about Champorado, I think about, sums it up. 
because I grew up in Sarnia. It's a town where there are very, very few Filipinos. So at the time, um, there were, it was really hard to get Filipino ingredients, Asian ingredients in general. So my mom, instead of making champorato, she'd make it with not rice, but oatmeal. Not like the actual sabrio or the chocolate, but with hot chocolate mix. That was how I thought champorato tasted, okay? So then, 2007, I come to Toronto, all of a sudden, there's Filipino grocery stores, and I'm like, holy smoke, Chocolato is in a box! Wow! Right? You just have to add milk, it's amazing, right? I started working in the community as a settlement worker, which is like a newcomer counselor, right? Mostly with Filipinos, right? And the more I got involved in the community, guess what got better? The Chocolato. Because then I started going to different events, people would bring the huge pots, right? And then it'd be like this old Lola Yeah, so now today um, I started a, a, an initiative called Filipino Talks, which means I go into different schools and I teach teachers how to teach Filipino students better. Honestly, what I do, and I'm totally serious, I make teachers cry. I teach them about Filipino students and all the issues that they come with. I love making teachers cry, but today I'm going to make you guys laugh a little bit, right? So that is my story. Thank you. Something that I've been really interested in, not just with food, but just in general about learning more about Filipino culture and just how things have come to be the way that they are today. And I think that's... And whether work for Cambio & Co. Um, so Cambio & Co. is an ethical fashion company based here in Toronto, and we work with artisans, weaving communities, and social conscious brands in Philippines to bring fashion accessories that are all ethically made, designed, and handcrafted in the Philippines. And our main goal is really to inspire younger Filipinos, especially Filipinos in the diaspora, to reconnect with their roots by sharing the stories of the craftsmanship behind the pieces that uh, we have in Cambio, the traditions of pre-colonial, you know, indigenous craftsmanship that exists out there, like gold jewelry, jewelry, and just different types of fabrics that we have. It's so rich in the Philippines, and I really didn't know any of that growing up um, here in Canada. And something I've learned so much in the past four years that we've been traveling to Philippines every year, being able to meet a lot of like rural artists and communities, a lot of them living in remote areas, a lot of them very linked to their indigenous roots still. Um, and so I've been finding it really fascinating to just learn about like the history of our ingredients and the history of our food. And like my mom is Filipino Chinese, and I didn't know anything about that side of my family or history until the last few years. And I didn't even know that bunsen, which is like an, our noodle dish, which is the thing that my dad cooks all the time. Every party has bunsen. Um, that's actually a Chinese, mostly Chinese dish, and bunsen actually comes from a Hokkien word. Um, and so I found that really interesting just to like learn those roots and how things evolve. And then that has made me also really interested in how things are continuing to evolve. And even Filipino cuisine in Toronto is something that is so recent in the last few years. Like Fiona was pretty new to the scene in 2013 and things have changed so, so much. And I think the way that Filipino cuisine is starting to express itself in diaspora communities in Toronto, in the San Francisco Bay Area, in LA, New York, like that is all influencing like that's a two-way dialogue too. It's not just that we're making food in Toronto and then it stays in Toronto. Like that, what we do here today goes to other parts 
in the US, in the UK, like that is constantly in flux. And I found that really, really fascinating. And it's just something for me to keep in mind that like having different types of Filipino cuisine or different expressions of a Filipino identity is not necessarily a bad thing and it doesn't necessarily make us divided as a community. It just makes us more nuanced as a community and like so much more interesting to be able to say like this region has that and like this in the San Francisco Bay Area. At the end of the night, I asked, what words or phrases best describe your relationship with Filipino food today? So my three words for us would be bigger cultural footprint. Okay, so there are so many Filipinos in Canada. We're the biggest population and the fastest growing population and there are so few that actually have businesses and restaurants and thank god for you guys because you're like unicorns right entrepreneurs in the Filipino community we have the lowest rate of entrepreneurship out of any immigrant group so bigger cultural footprint I want to see more Filipino food I want to see more kids that go to culinary school and don't work in a French restaurant I also want to see like like us who go to these restaurants, I want to see more Google reviews. Put it on TripAdvisor. Get more people to come, right? We have a really big community and we need to be a little bit louder in how we support each other. And so that would be my big Diona keeps things short and sweet on what Filipino food means to her. I live with it, I breathe it, and I create with it. One of three words that I would say is, uh, it's actually on our wall, but kain na tayo. It's a phrase, but that phrase to me kind of reminds me of like, you know, it's time to eat, like with my family. You know, my, growing up, my mom is a great cook and she always used to cook food for the family. And every time she, I'd hear those words, like I would drop everything and go to the kitchen. And I think, when I hear that, you know, when anyone says that, it's like, you know, it kind of just reminds me of just times we come together at the table. And, you know, it's easy to leave everything off, so. My three words, it was really about curiosity, um, understanding, and ongoing. Um, and I couldn't agree more. All of this, the work and the discussion and the dialogue, it's an ongoing process that, in the end, I really believe helps. Because bridging the gaps and these divisions within Filipino communities, it's an ongoing process and a challenge. But getting to be here and to know the people with a hand in all this, it's just very meaningful. And to me, it's the kind of light that I need. Maybe these stories can be someone else's light, too.
more mistakes to Mark and Mariel Buenaventura, Dolly Flores, Diona Joyce, Shendley Austria, and Jelaine Santiago for joining our panel chat. The new Filipino Kitchen book launch in Toronto was everything I hoped it would be. Like a life-turning thing. My warmest thanks goes to Mark and Mariel Buenaventura, who have been amazing hosts at Isla's Filipino Barbecue and Bar. Thank you for setting this up and for joining the panel chat. Also, my eternal thanks to the amazing people who agreed to come on the panel. Thank you to Reshi Valdez, Susan Graham, Jenna Lee Austria, Jelaine Santiago, Chase Sulit, Vanessa Lorenzo, who flew in from the U.S., Dolly Flores, and Diona Joyce for participating, for being so game to answer all my questions, and for the work you do within the community. Thank you immensely to the kitchen and service team at Isla's Filipino Barbecue and Bar. They're at 1690 Queen Street West in Toronto. Everyone at the shop carries Filipino hospitality to a T, and honestly, it feels like home every time I walk in. Our theme music for this episode is by David Seste, segment music is by Eric and McGill, Blue Dot Sessions, and Podington Beer. Visit exploringfilipinokitchens.com for past episodes. Check out, honestly, my Instagram, because I think that's the thing that I actually update quite a bit. It's at Nastasha Alley. Um, and as before, if you enjoyed the episode, I would really appreciate if you told a friend. Until next time, maraming salamat, and thank you for listening.